Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. If you're visiting with us, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm a senior pastor here at Grantham. It's good to see you and see some students here with us this morning as well. Would you grab your Bible and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7? We'll be reading verses 11 through 22. Or the beginning of the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, chapter seven. We can read in verse eleven. If you have a pew Bible, there's a couple different pew Bibles, but uh, I have a pew Bible. It's page three forty nine, Second Chronicles, chapter seven, verse eleven. And would you stand the reading of the scriptures? When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne. As I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away, forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, And go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. 
All who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning we begin a three-part sermon series entitled Prayer, Our Cry for the Kingdom. This series, I intend to address both the why and how we pray, but we'll focus primarily on a specific sort of prayer. Prayer that is corporate. Prayer that is kingdom-centered and is seen as a call for God to intervene. Not for personal needs, but for the presence and the power of God to be known among his people. I come this morning with a heavy heart. If I'm honest, all this weekend I have felt a burden for the church, felt a burden for America, and a burden for the world. Do you know what I mean? I could list all those things, but I'm sure you're aware of what they all are. But more than all of the things that we could mention, more than our anxiety and our fear of COVID or whatever else it is that ails us, the thing that troubles me the most is the state of the church. And I want to invite you this morning to be more troubled about that than anything else. Because until we do come to this place of recognizing the darkness, seeing our own brokenness and our part in it, nothing will change. Throughout the scriptures and church history, every spiritual awakening, every renewal, I want to say revival, but some of us don't like that word today. So as time goes by, we have to change our wording. Someone in here has had a bad experience with a revival or felt like it's conjoling or manipulative. In fact, you could look through all of church history and poke holes in every single revival that's happened and say, look at some of the nasty things that came out of this, or look at some motives here, or look look what happened with the church. But folks, So what? 
We are a broken people living in a broken world. We should expect that there's some nastiness mixed in with the movement of God. Thank you for His grace that He continues to work with us. But I want you to think about this. Every spiritual awakening, every renewal was founded on intense corporate kingdom-centered prayer. And so I submit to you this morning that we must see prayer as being about more than going to God for our own spiritual and physical needs or for the purpose of our own personal growth. Now, those things are good, but I want to invite us to see prayer more than that, about being more than that. In addition to those things, we must see prayer as our cry for more of the kingdom, for God to do something, for God's reign in His rule, which is what the kingdom is about, God's reign in His rule to be known on the earth, beginning with the awakening and renewal of the church. God is concerned about the world. Jesus told us, for God so loved the world, but he looks to his church to be faithful. Because it's through his church that we become agents of new creation, ministers of reconciliation, salt and light in the world, and healing for the nations. Jesus said this, So what does the Bible say about all of this, this corporate, kingdom-centered, collective cry for the kingdom sort of prayer? And what might it look like if we began to pray that way at Grantham? That's what I want us to look at over the next three weeks. Father, we… we stop right now and we recognize the heaviness that is on our hearts. That we're made in your image, but we're broken and not as we should be. That you love this world, but this world is in a mess. And so we, in this moment, ask you to speak to our hearts. Convict us, challenge us, comfort us. Call us to repentance. Call us to prayer. Lord, would you guide my words? Would you open our hearts to receive what the Spirit has for us this morning? In Christ's name, amen. Why do we pray? How should we pray? Think about some of this. At first, we, we pray, the why of prayer is because through prayer, we acknowledge the Creator and we seek to know Him. At the heart of prayer is that we would know who God is. And I'm not talking about knowing about God. We're not talking about reading a book. We're not talking about information. As helpful sometimes as that can be, it is ultimately not what changes our loves. 
It's not what ultimately drives us to action. It's not what will bring renewal and awakening. Prayer is about communing with God and knowing who God is. Because it's in knowing God that we truly know ourselves. It's the only real way to know ourselves. You can't know how small you are until you come into the presence of our great God. You can't know how unholy you are until you come into the presence of a holy God. You can't know who you are, your identity, until you come to know God in prayer. Why do we pray? Because there's no way to change who we are or our actions without it. And Paul talks about this in Romans 8, and many of us in this room have experienced this. We say, I really want to stop doing A, or I really want to stop doing B, but you can't seem to stop doing it. Why? It is because you love those things more than God. If we're honest, So what we need to do is reorient ourselves and our loves. Now, how do we do that? We do it through prayer. I said you can read the books, you can have a change of mind, but it doesn't mean you have a change of heart. That only comes through persistent prayer. Why do we pray? It's how we partner with God and bringing the kingdom. I'll say more about this next week. But get this image of us in prayer reaching across the partition into heaven, grabbing a hold of the hand of God and joining with him in his mission. God did not create automatons. God did not create a world where, contrary to what some may believe, is all determined. This is a choose-your-own-adventure. We get to shape the future. And God waits upon his people to do what he's called his people to do before God acts. So prayer is partnering with God and bringing the kingdom. How should we pray? Well, it looks differently. There's different ways of doing it. We can pray privately. Jesus talked about that going into our prayer closet, as he called it, privately in different ways. There are various methods of prayer. Uh, We can pray where we're just doing the talking. We can sit in silence and just listen to God. We can have a conversation with God. We can practice Lectio Divina. We can practice breathing prayer. There's all kinds of ways to pray, and some of us find some of those methods better than others. They work for us better than others. But we should do it. And I think it's revealing when we don't pray and have a private prayer life. It really says something about the way we relate to God. Jesus taught us to pray in Luke 11, 1 through 4, which we, we prayed earlier, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now think about this. It isn't just he's saying, say this prayer this way every time you pray. There's a model to this prayer. There's a pattern to this prayer. Before we ever get to God give us this day our daily bread, we say our Father. Not 
my boss, not master puppeteer, not landlord, but father. See, if we're honest with ourselves, it really reveals sometimes by our prayer that we do see God like a boss or a landlord, right? We, we pay our dues, and so when we have a need, we just first come asking, give us this. I need this. I'm doing this for you. Maybe we come to prayer meetings. Maybe we come to worship services. But we have no private prayer life because we do not relate to God as loving Lord and as Father, but as landlord and boss. But Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There is power in worshiping and adoring. This is how we orient our loves to God. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. And Jesus wasn't against prayer in all of the spaces, including the intimate, personal, social, and public spaces. He was just against the kind of prayer that was about babbling on like the pagans, thinking that if if we say all the right things and we sound really nice in prayer that God is going to act, that instead Jesus calls us to authenticity and sincerity when we pray, to work all of the spaces. Prayer isn't just the bookends of a committee meeting. Prayer isn't just, oh, some things we should sprinkle in a worship service because we're supposed to do that sort of thing. Prayer is how we access our loving Father and partner with God in the bringing of the kingdom. And then there's this aspect of prayer, which this series is about, that I'm willing to bet most of us are not as familiar with, and that is this, to corporately repent and petition God in one voice. Where all of the church let's say our congregation, is corporately praying the same thing together. And we know this. As an example, Lord, renew our church. Have we come to that place? Do we see the urgency that this is what God is calling for. You may recall that throughout the Old Testament, God's people continually fall into periods of spiritual atrophy and stagnation, and then cultural accommodation to idol worship, conforming themselves to the thinking, the beliefs, and the practices of surrounding pagan societies. Part of my role as pastor and Sometimes the prophet, I suppose, you can be the judge of that, is to remind us of how we have accommodated ourselves to culture. And and maybe the reasons that we're so slow to do this is because for some of us, ex-evangelicals or ex-evangelicals or whatever they're tweeting and hashtagging these days, you you know, we, we think that it's pretty much okay to just kind of do whatever else the world is doing 
you know, as, as long as God is in the mix somewhere. But the scriptures over and over and over again show us that the place of renewal and awakening begins with the repentance of sin and the separation of the church of God's people from the world. And so we need to approach this with biblical lenses and a biblical worldview. Instead of thinking what we need to do is just all agree on politics or just all start thinking the same way and voting the same way and reading the same books, but rather instead humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and ask God to intervene. Ask God to help us to see, to open our eyes, to wake us up to the ways in which we have succumbed to the ways of the world. Trusted in worldly kingdom power. The, the ways that we are filling our hearts and our minds with the, the things of the world. And so folks, I, I tell you, one of the thoughts that I've had on my mind and my heart this weekend is that maybe God is just sensitizing me to this and maybe wants me to tell you this to sensitize you to this, is how do we think that change, renewal, and awakening is going to come when a good bit of the church is addicted to pornography? When we have screens constantly in front of us pumping in violence and rape and incest and all forms of sexual immorality? How do we think that the church is going to be able to follow Jesus to be, to be a powerful force of reconciliation in the world, of healing in the world, of salvation in the world, if that is what it's come to. Now, I thought a little bit ahead for this sermon, as I hope you know I do for most of my sermons, and I thought I might say this, and then I also thought, because this is how I process when I say something, someone's going to think this. And then another group of people is going to think this. And I just have to trust God that you're not hearing me as some fundamentalist, Bible-thumping preacher this morning, but that the Spirit of God is, is going with my words to your ears and heart and saying, and the Spirit of God in you is saying, yes, this is right. How can we think that the force of the church and the spirit at work in the church has any chance of doing what he's called us to do if that is the way that we live. So if you think about the story of God's people in the Old Testament as they continually fail and away from God into spiritual atrophy and stagnation. We see this pattern over and over, and that over time things get so bad that there is eventually a turning. Eventually, there is a returning back to God, the raising up of new leaders. You see, not, not just, not people that simply want to deconstruct, not people that simply want to throw stones at the church. 
Not people that just want to cancel folks, but people, I'll call them redeemed cynics, who believe in the church because Christ believed in the church. Because Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Believe me, folks, some days that is the only reason why I still do what I do. Because Jesus believed in the church. Jesus said, this is how we change the world. And you see, the the problem is we suffer from a lack of imagination of what God really wants to do with the church. The eternal purpose of the church is to be a called out group of people that embrace the teachings of Jesus, that live differently. They don't just talk about love. They don't just talk about grace, but we embody it. They don't just talk about that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but then go put all of our hope in worldly kingdom politics. But we actually are embodying it. We actually show it by the way that we live and the way we respond to the mess and the chaos of the world. Because we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. So the question I'm asking is how how much further do we go down this road until we return? Until we wake up? Until we're willing to sacrifice and say no more? And I'm not talking culture war stuff. But I'm talking about getting on our knees and saying, here I am, Lord. Start with me. Here we are, Lord. Start with Grantham Church. Show us where we've gone wrong. Show us of our pride and our arrogance. Show us our sin, the way that we've wandered away from you, the way we've become cynical and distrusting, the way that we have become gossips and slanderers, the way that we've become addicted to all sorts of things and the way we've chased after idols and put our hope and faith and trust in things that won't bring us life. And Lord, give us a hunger for more of you. Help us to repent, to turn to you. Bring revival, bring renewal, bring awakening. You see, this is the pattern that we see in Scripture. And so I keep asking myself again, how much further do we need to go down this road? I know it's part of human nature, right? We wait till there's a great deal of pain before we bring in the consultant. We wait till there's a great deal of pain and we hit rock bottom before we look up. And so I'm saying, can we just fast track this this morning, starting with us, starting with Grantham Church, and just get to that place right now so that we don't have to endure more of what we're enduring? Lord, start with me. Start with us. Raise up new leaders. Help us to return to you. Bring about a renewal of the covenant. This is what happens in the biblical story, and there's ultimately a restoration of spiritual vision and vitality. 
And we see this pattern in Israel's story, particularly in the time of, of the exodus of Israel, through the judges, the kings, the return from exile in the day of Nehemiah. And if we look at those various examples of spiritual awakenings and revivals, we can see that they're all very different, all very different. Some are led by strong leaders, some are sparked by the words of prophets, and some seem to slowly emerge like water seeping up from dry cracks in a desert wasteland. In fact, the only thing that they share in common is this, the intentional the intense persistence of corporate prayer that is expressed over and over again in this phrase, the people cried out to the Lord. Cried out to the Lord. Look, at, there are a few examples of this. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. Numbers, but when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Deuteronomy, then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil, and oppression. And then in the judges, but when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up a deliverer. And then in 1 Samuel, they cried out to the Lord, and said, we have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served false gods, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. You see, this is a repeated pattern in the Old Testament and it's part of the story of God's people to tell the redemptive story this way. Again and again, we were in trouble but then we collectively cried out to God and he revealed his presence and power, delivering us, restoring us, and blessing us with his favor. And we can hear this, this redemptive story in Psalm 107, an ancient hymn that repeats this refrain several times. We actually sing a song based on one, Psalm 107 here at Grantham. And this is that refrain. You hear it several times in Psalm 107. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their change. What if we cried out to the Lord instead of tweeting about it? What if we cried out to the Lord instead of posting to social media? Folks, when is the last time someone's changed your mind from a tweet? I think we do it for ourselves. Maybe it's a way we're trying to cope, but I submit to you that it accomplishes nothing. The Lord is calling us to respond differently. Tell it to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Join with the people of this church 
and crying out to the Lord to deliver us from our distress. This is how the kingdom comes. But we as God's people must first come to this place of calling on God for help. So what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we get there? How do we come to this place? Because, you know, I'm afraid uh, that some of us in the room will hear this message and just, you know, go home and eat the roast and not think twice about this. Or maybe, you, you know, walk away and say, and he's finally flipped, you know, he's you know, Southern Baptist stuff is coming out or something. I don't know what you're thinking. But, you know, when I read the prophets and I read the Old Testament and I read what God was doing in the New Testament through Christ and the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the birth of the early church, this is what I see. It's the formula. When we need awakening, when we need renewal, when we need change, we need God to do something and intervene, this is where it starts. You see, in order for us to receive and experience God's help and deliverance, we must first come to a place where, number one, we see the darkness. We see it in us. We see it in the church with God's people, and we see it in the world. We have to recognize it. Now, my guess is that we probably don't have so much a hard time seeing it in the world. We have a hard time seeing it in us. Instead, we say, it's those people, right? But the Lord invites us uniquely as His people to be the ones, maybe the only ones in the world who say, Lord, it's in me, the sickness, it's in me, the sin is in me. So can we acknowledge how messed up things are right now? Can we agree that we are broken? The darkness is in us too. Can we see how the church in America is undergoing major changes? And can we see our need to confess our sins and to repent? We have to do this. If we're going to be begin to take steps toward calling out to God and, and to receive God's help, we have to see the darkness. Number two, we have to humbly admit that we need a divine breakthrough. Can we admit that our, our smarts, our education, our PhDs, our best efforts is not going to do it? Can, can we see that? Can we recognize that? Are we willing to lay down our pride and lean on the everlasting arm instead of our ever-loving minds? What more must happen, as I said, before we come together and break through prayer? As I look back over the revivals of the Old and New Testaments and church history, it's a mystery how and when it happens. In some respects, we, we cannot will it ourselves. We can't make it happen I can't try just really, really hard to preach a convicting revivalistic message and expect things to happen. It truly is a mystery and a movement of God. But do you realize what our part is 
if we're to ever see and experience the mystery, it is submission to God. It is yielding to God. It is repenting of our sins. Saying, Lord, start with me. Start with Grantham Church. Lastly, in order for us to receive and experience God's help and deliverance, we, as I said, we have to see the darkness. We have to humbly admit we need a divine breakthrough. We're not going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're not going to figure this out on our own. We need God to intervene. And three, we need to persistently voice a corporate call for help. You say, why must it be corporate? Why does it have to be a corporate call for help? Are you saying more people praying matters? Yes. Why do you think we have a prayer chain? It isn't just so you can be updated on what's going on in the church. It's because we believe that more than one person praying, i.e. the pastor, makes a difference. It works like this in every arena of life. And sure, you can find examples where, like Moses, crying out on behalf of the people so God spared them because of one man. There's, this is true, but I don't want to lean on the exceptions. Instead, we must see that God waits for a corporate cry just as he heard the corporate cry of the Hebrew slaves. The scripture says their cries had reached up to heaven and it prompted God to respond. It's as if God said, now they're ready. Now their hearts are ready. They're ready to be molded and shaped. Now they are ready to receive what I'm going to pour out. This is the invitation to us. So let's go back then to where we began this message, which I read without any commentary. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, now whose people? Well, in the context, this is ancient Israel. Today, I think we can say this is God's people, the church made up of Jews and Gentiles, because this is saying something specific about God's character. This is how God works, and you can, you can bank on it. You can expect this. This is true to his character. If you do this, then I will do this. It's the way the covenant works. But let's first be clear about this. If my people, this is the church, this is not America. This is the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, starts with humility, pray and seek my face, an intentional pursuit of God, going to God in heaven, not on the face grams and Twitter books. And look at this, turn from their wicked ways. It involves a little self-reflection and repentance. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What 
a promise. And it's all dependent upon this. If my people. What will we do? How will we respond? Father, we We know that repentance, that renewal, that awakening is not something that we can manufacture. We are totally dependent upon you for these things. Therefore, we simply ask that your Holy Spirit in this moment, as we give space for you to speak to us, that you would have your will be done. Lord, we collectively and corporately cry out this morning for more of the kingdom, for more of your reign and rule to be known in our lives and in our church and our community and the church in America and a church around the world. Lord, that we might manifest the beauty of Jesus Christ that you would have your way with the world. Lord, would you help us now as we come to this time of reflection, of response and invitation to put aside all that calls us away from this moment, all that distracts us, Help us to hear your voice. And respond to you. Church, I want to invite us to a moment of silence. And ask that we would Listen to the voice of the Spirit and submit to the will of God for our lives.
Amen.